Well, since uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with you over this week, I wanted to take a little bit uh, this morning just to introduce myself, tell you a little bit more about my testimony, spiritual background, so that you know the experiences that I'm coming from as we get into the Bible teaching today. My walk with Christ started when I was three months old in my crib doing my daily journaling and Bible reading that I would do. Now, I was three months old, and my mom, Angie, sitting right over here, uh, was in a dark place in her life. She was in a struggling marriage with uh, my dad. and This was my mom's second marriage. It was my father's fourth marriage. And my mom was struggling with despondency and, and depression, And God brought a friend into her life who shared some things with her that she had never heard before, shared with her who God was, how much God loved her, and that God had proven his love for her by becoming a man in Jesus, taking her sin, dying on the cross. He didn't stay dead, but rose again from the dead. And that because those things really happened, in fact and in history, that there was hope for her. That there was hope for her in this life right here, right now. And there was hope for her in the life to come. And the grace of God worked in my mom's life, brought her to repentance of her sins and faith in Jesus. And the Bible then says she was born again. She became a new creature in Christ. So when I was three months old, I got a new mom. And we started doing crazy religious stuff. Started praying before we ate, started going to church. Mom got really involved in women's ministry things, and she dragged the little boy with her to all the women's ministry conferences. So I'm like the six-year-old boy at the creepy women's events and (laughs) stuff like that. But my mom led my older brother to the Lord, led me to the Lord, uh, taught us how to pray, taught us how to uh, read the Bible. Now, my dad um, uh, was not a Christian. Uh, My dad thought that my mother's, with my mother's conversion, that she had become kind of a crazy Jesus person. And my parents ended up getting divorced when I was 15 years old. They'd been married 18 years. Um, Dad had um, extra relationships outside the marriage. That was the straws that broke the camel's back. And that became sort of the big, the big wound and trauma of, of my life growing up. Um, I may have time, especially during Q&A, if you want to hear more of my dad's story, I'd love to, to tell you about it. But when my dad was 90 years old, three weeks before he died, God worked a miracle in his life, brought him to repentance of his sins, faith in Christ. He was radically converted. My dad's, uh, my dad's salvation is the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life, ever. So if, how many of you have a family member or a friend you've been praying for forever? for them to come to Christ. Anybody? All right. So I'll put my dad up against whoever you've got, and I'll win. So if God can bring my dad to Christ, he can bring whoever you've got. So you don't stop praying, number one, because you're not talking to the wall when you're praying. Number two, you don't stop sharing the gospel as God gives you opportunity, because the gospel message, our sinfulness and God's love and Jesus as the only Savior, is the power of God. That's what Romans says. The gospel message is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now, I'm going to keep going with my story in just a minute, but I've got a a video, and I'm going to need some video 
volume. We're going to be talking about parenting. We're going to be talking about grandparenting. We're talking about family, talking about marriage, uh, what the Bible has to say. How many of you have been in a situation with kids or grandkids and they're just running wild, crazy, out of control? Anybody had that problem? Okay, maybe just like five minutes ago. All right, I have, I have a video with a resource that can help with that common problem. Here we go. As a mom with three active kids, I've got to make sure I know what they're up to at all times. And as any mom will tell you, they can be a handful. That's why I give my kids Kidstone Chewable Valium. Kidstone Chewable Valium, the barbiturate the whole family can enjoy. And once the Kidstone Chewable Valiums kick in, these kids kind of stay right where you put them. They're quiet, relaxed. It's a dream. And just about all you have to do is check their breathing every once in a while or just poke at them with a stick. Kidstone Chewable Valium. I appreciate you laughing. Sometimes people say, that is terrible. Drugging children. We're leaving. It's just a joke, all right? Just a little joke. I've also had people in all seriousness come up to me after I speak and say, hey, do you sell that over at the book table? <laughs> no, we don't sell it at the book table. Just just for fun. All right, fast forwarding into uh, our story just a little bit. 2004 was a huge turning point in, in my life. Amy and I had been married 10 years. We had four-ish children at the time. And I was a youth pastor for those first 10 years. And during the first 10 years of our marriage while we were having these children, my heart and my passion was at work. It was at church. Number one mission of my life, helping other people's children follow Jesus. So I'll pray with your kids. I'll read the Bible with your kids. I'll plan small groups for your kids. I'll do lock-ins with your junior hires. That is a horrible idea, whoever came up with that. But I want other people's kids to hear the gospel, follow Jesus, learn to play, pray, learn to follow him, et cetera. And that was wonderful. Praise God. It was a great season of uh, my, my ministry life outside my house. The problem was I had no passion, no fire in my belly to do any of that with my own kids. So I'd pray with your kids. I wouldn't pray with mine. I'd read the Bible with your kids. I wouldn't read the Bible with mine. I was a very passionate spiritual leader at church and very passive in my house. I, I was putting my spiritual opportunities in front of my spiritual responsibilities. I remember one time, um, R.W., who I, he's not here, I guess he's on the, the road back towards Chicago. He was three. We were walking toward church together and we're about a block away, we see the church. And my three-year-old says, is this where you live, daddy? Now, we, we kind of laugh a little bit about it now, but you know, if you drive however many miles, 150 miles with me over to Wheaton, I can take you to the square foot of concrete where I was standing when my three-year-old said that to me. Now, I didn't, other than the lock-in, I didn't sleep at church, right? I slept at home, and I, I was an enthusiastic dad. I, I really wanted to connect with my kids and have a relationship with my kids. My little three-year-old son played with them all the time. But even at three, he could sense where dad's heart was, where dad's passion was. And so this was the summer, 2004, of, of repentance, uh, brokenness, God turning my heart to my most important 
ministry, which was the souls of the little ones that he had entrusted to my care. See, I was doing what really millions of Christian parents and grandparents are doing is delegating the spiritual training of my kids to others. Delegating the spiritual training of my kids to Sunday school, youth group, Christian school, VBS, Gull Lake, you, you name it. You know, delegate, let me tell you a delegation story. We were doing a garage sale. We've moved a couple times in the last few years. We were doing a garage sale. And there's two kinds of garage sales. There's uh, make money garage sales and get rid of stuff garage sales. You understand the difference? All right. So we're doing a get rid of stuff garage sale, right? Everything in the front of the driveway is a buck. Everything in the back of the driveway is five bucks. Like, I don't care. I just want it out. I want it gone. So it's lunchtime, and it's kind of a crazy scattered day like a lot of our days are. Uh, Amy had to take a kid to the doctor, I think. And so I'm left home. She delegates it to me, and then I got to run an errand. So I decide, uh, Lissy's inside, our teenager, and I'm going to put our, our 12-year-old and 9-year-old girl out in the driveway. Look, everything up there is a buck. Everything back here is five bucks. I got to go. I'll be back in a few minutes. My son, my, my teenage son's friend, uh, bikes over to hang out, and he pulls his bike in the driveway. And I say, Jay, Jay, I'm pulling out the car. Jay, whoa, don't, we're doing a garage sale, man. I don't want to sell your bike. Let's move your bike over here. Okay, disaster averted, right? No problem. Well, half an hour later, I'm out running errands. I get a phone call from my son. Dad, the girls sold Jay's bike. Oh, no. So I get home. I feel terrible about this. Man, Jay, this 14-year-old boy. Jay, I am, I am so sorry. This is, this is terrible. We sold your bike. He's like, well, it's not my bike. My mother's bike. <laughs> Brand new Trek mountain bike that had been given to her as a gift. She was a family doctor given to her by a grateful patient. Now, it was in the $5 section. <laughs> Do you understand? Now, I think about the person who bought it. That's the greatest garage sale find of all time. So now I have to call. Normally, this is my neighbor, and they go to our church. Normally, it's my neighbor. His name's DR, right? So normally, hey, DR, what's up? Well, today it's Mr. Callantine. Mr. Callantine, yeah, Rob, what's up? Well, Mr. Callantine, I proceed to tell them the story, and I'm like, I am so, so sorry. It's terrible. Silence, awkward pause. He bursts out laughing on the other end of the phone. Praise God for that. And I'm like, well, can we pay for it? Can we have a payment plan of some kind to go on this? He's like, no, it's okay, it's okay. I just reserve the right to tell this story to anybody I want to for the rest of your life. <laughs> Fine, deal, okay. But what's the point? Delegation can get you into a lot of trouble, right? Especially if it's important. And what's happening now in millions of Christian homes, again, around the country, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we are delegating the spiritual training of our kids to Sunday school, youth group, Christian school, Gull Lake, you name it. All right, here's what we're going to do in this first session. Oh, by the way, you all got your handout packs from yesterday? You all reviewed your notes from the sermon prior to coming today, right? All right, no. So you're on session two, God's grand vision for the home. This morning, we're going to do a crash course on the purpose of family. Why did God make family? What's the purpose of family? What's the purpose of parenting? And we're going to zero in on the text that I will spend the vast majority of the time in this week, which is Deuteronomy chapter six. So I want you to imagine you are uh, out in the, the downtown of your town, wherever that might be, Smithville, USA, and the news crews are out on the street they're doing man-on-the-street, woman-on-the-street interviews. 
and they come up to you, they put the microphone in your face, they ask you this question that's on the screen. What is the purpose of family? You say what? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. What's the purpose of family? Tapes rolling, people, live TV. Raise your kids. All right, very good. Glorify God. That's very spiritual. That's good. Make successful adults. All right, great. Excellent answers. I tell you, when I was first posed this question back when, when I was in this repentance phase in my life as regards to family, honestly, I kind of scratched my head for a little bit trying to think of something sort of churchy to say. Raise your hand if that was you. Your mind's sort of spinning for something spiritual. All right, good. A little bit of honesty. Now, this, this ought to concern us. The fact that we don't know the answer to this question ought to concern us, and here's why. God made the family as the foundational institution for all of human life, all places, all times. Every single person that comes into the world comes into the world through a family of one kind or another. Right? You can put an adjective in front of family, right? Single parent family or adoptive family or foster family. But there's some sort of family structure that brings every person into the world by God's design. And if we don't know the purpose for something, the likelihood of us being successful with it is very slim. You have to know why God made it so that then you can bumble and stumble toward living toward the purpose that God created. Now, before I get to Deuteronomy 6, I want to give you a fair warning here about all of the messages that I'm going to be sharing with you. If you want to embrace a distinctively Christian vision for your family, you want to embrace a distinctively Christian vision for your family, in a lot of ways, you're going to have to reject the world's message of success. You're going to have to reject the world's message of success. I've got another video. So video master volume dude, I need volume. This is a video from the, uh, the Lord of the Rings. It, don't get too excited. It's not the movie. It's the bonus DVD of the people who made the movie talking about making the movie. So here we go. Once you started working on Lord of the Rings, you got sort of brought into the family, and it just became your home. It became your environment. It became your lifestyle. And you just accepted that, and anyone who didn't, didn't last on the film. I don't think any of us have been involved with anything on this level, on this scale. Left, right, left, right. There is nothing that is daunting to me now, because I know nothing could ever be as intense as that experience. If you talk to any one of us, we would all have horror stories of, of what it cost us personally. There would be some fairly horrendous statistics out there to do with, you know, health and family breakups and girlfriends and boyfriends. It's a side of it that none of us choose to look at. I, I missed my son growing up. That when I left to come down here, he was three months old, you know, about the size of a cardboard box. And when I kind of came back for any decent stretches of time, he was kind of three and a half, four years old. And, and it was kind of sad to have missed out on that fantastic kind of time. All right, so it was kind of sad to have missed out on that fantastic kind of time. You, um, you watch their stories. They talk about losing marriages, losing meaningful relationships, uh, losing years of parenting. The, the brunette gal, I think, in there speaks for uh, millions of people on this subject. She says it's a side of it that none of us choose to look at. Because if you keep watching the video, where they go is we lost 
kids, families, marriages, but look at the great movie we made. And did you see my name crawl up the screen at the end? You see, every time you step out of the door of your house, every time you step out of the door of your church, the world tells you that your great reason for being here is somewhere out there. You just need to, go, you just need to find it. Your, your, your purpose in life, somewhere out there. And hopefully you'll discover it. I, I want to suggest to you, and the scriptures that I want to show you this week are going to teach this, that if God's given you kids, if God's given you grandkids, the biggest impact that you're going to make on this world for Christ are the kids and grandkids you release into the world. The ripple impact of the future generations of your family is your great calling, is your great ministry. And that's what I want to show you in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, open it there or turn your Bible on and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus says this is the most important commandment in the Bible. In Matthew 22, somebody comes up to Jesus and says, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? Jesus says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, he doesn't quote the reference, he just quotes the verse. He calls it the, the first and the most important commandment. We call it the great commandment. Does anybody know it? What is it? There, I heard it. Let's say it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus says the most important commandment in the Bible. Then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the second commandment. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we're going to dig in to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think in almost every time I'm with you, we're going to talk about this scripture in one form or another. But let me go to the next verse, verse 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6 then says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Here are the two foundations of the Christian life, a love for God and a love for his word. And that's where you're going to experience the spiritual attack against you over and over again, that the enemy in the world wants you to love things other than God more than God. That's idolatry, put things in God's place. And that you would trust other sources of truth more than God's word, that you would trust your heart, that you would trust man. This was the battle in the very beginning. Anybody know the very first words out of Satan's mouth to Eve? First thing Satan says in the Bible, did God actually say, don't eat the fruit from the tree? See, the first thing he's got to do with Eve is unhook her from what God has said. And so you can count on that attack over and over again in your life, trying to, he has to first unhook you from believing the Bible, that it is true and that it's sufficient for every matter of faith and practice. But I want you to notice a special emphasis here in verses five and six on the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Now there's an emphasis. Jesus adds loving God with all of our mind and we have loving God with our strength. So I don't want to water down the importance of loving God with our mind, believing God's truth and loving God with our strength, seeking to be obedient to him. But Jesus had some people in his life who knew a lot of Bible stuff and were working really hard to be good people. Who were they? Knew a lot of Bible stuff, working really hard to be good people. Pharisees. Jesus busted their chops over and over again. Why? Because their hearts were hard, right? They, they, they knew Bible stuff. They knew truth. 
And they were trying, now they were uh, legalists in that they were making up extra stuff that God didn't command, and they were seeking to use their rule following to like win points with God. That's going to be, that'll be a sermon for another day. But God wants your heart. God wants your kids' hearts. If he gets your heart, if you love him with all your heart, he gets everything else thrown in. And the same is true with your kids. So the, the, the question then is, is where do our hearts get shaped? Now, I'm going to get ahead of verse 7 in just a minute. I'll put it up there and show you this. But where do the deep places of a person's heart, a person's personality, and a person's character get shaped? What, what earthly environment shaped your heart more than any other? Why are you the way you are? Yeah, the, the home you grew up in, right? Shaped your heart more than any other. Now, none of you were raised by Jesus, right? Y'all had sinful parents, so y'all had a mixed bag, right? Had some blessings and some curses, maybe too strong a word, but some things that, that blessed you and maybe some things that, that hurt you. So somebody tell me something that you experienced when you were a child that impressed your heart, marked your character, shaped your personality in a positive way, so much so that you've carried that with you into adulthood. Some, go ahead, sir. Wow. Wow, did you hear what he said? He said, I, I was four years old. I woke up. I heard dad throwing up. And I don't know if you went out to see him or he came in to see you, but. Okay, so dad's thrown up in the bathroom. He goes see dad. Dad finishes throwing up. Dad's dressed for work. Dad says, got to go to work, son, right? Kissed you goodbye, left, went out and worked a 12-hour day. And that he still remembers that experience of his dad's work ethic, right? And willingness, even if he was sick, to do what he needed to do to take care of the family, right? Praise God. And so you're probably a work ethic guy, right? Praise the Lord. That's great, wonderful for your dad's example. Somebody else? Yes, please. Come here. Family devotions. Wow, so you guys did family prayer, family Bible reading, all of that? All right, now, I, I lose track of the, the schedule. Oh, no, it's tonight. We're going to be back together for another teaching session um, tonight. We're going to spend tonight talking about that subject, family worship, family uh, devotions. How many of you, I already know the answer, but here we go. How many of you grew up in a home that had regular family prayer and regular family Bible reading? Put your hand up for me. Put your hand up really high. Regular family prayer, regular family Bible reading. All right, look around the room. Statistically, 15% of church-going adults grew up in a home like that. And actually, you're a bit of a remedial group. I would say we had 10% in here. So if only 10 or 15% of adult Christians grew up in homes that were as blessed as you were to have family prayer and family Bible, do you think more Christian parents today are doing it or less? Yeah, even less. Now, there is a family reformation going on in the country right now, and that's making a difference, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that tonight. So listen, the, the home is the primary shaper of the heart. The home's the primary shaper of the heart. I'm going to show you that in the next verse. This is why when it comes to the spiritual training of our kids, this isn't a job we can delegate to anybody else. One hour a week out of 168 hours a week in Sunday school is an insufficient delegation 
of the child's heart and faith training. Christian school, a great week with the counselors at Gull Lake. God created the family as the primary shaper of the heart, both for good and for bad. Anybody out here with a teenage girl? Got a teenage girl? All right. Bless all of us, right? We, uh, teenage girl walking through the hall at school. Boy comes up to her. Boy looks her in the eye and says, you are so ugly. Nobody's ever going to marry you. Very sick thing to say, right? And so the girl, she goes into the bathroom and she cries and the girlfriends all go in there and they all cry. They go all beat up the boy. And that same girl goes home. Dad looks up from the iPad. Dad looks her in the eye and says, you are so ugly. Nobody's ever going to marry you. Is there any difference in the girl's life between those two events? How could there be a difference if the words are the same? Yeah, like who said it? See, the, the, the punk at school doesn't have a calling from God to shape this girl's heart for eternity. He's the punk at school. Dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, calling from God to shape that girl's heart for eternity. Let me give you another illustration. How many of you have ever held uh, a, a minutes-old baby in your hands before? Minutes-old baby. Okay, I've done this a number of times. And I, this, you, this is a little morbid warning. I've had the thought, as I hold the minutes-old baby, that if I were to, like, I don't know, drop my baby, or I don't know, like squeeze baby the wrong way, that, like, I could kill my baby. Raise your hand if you ever had the thought. Wow. So this, this half is really disturbed. You guys are much more... <laughs> okay, you're my people. I'm going to talk to you on this. When our kids... When our kids are really little, we are aware, aren't we, of our physical power of life and death over the child, like their lives literally are in our hands, okay? Now, as they get older, they get bigger and stronger. We get frailer and weaker. And at some point, ding, they can beat us up. Raise your hand if you have a child that can beat you up. All right, there's no shame in it. It's all right. I don't, I don't think I've crossed the line yet. I... All right, here's why. Okay, my 20-year-old. Um, okay, my wife, Amy, you met my, my beautiful wife. She, when, from a gene pool standpoint, she brings beauty, intelligence, skill in all areas, academics, all these things. But she doesn't bring size. Do you understand? She kind of waters that. She's 5'3", I'm 6'5". Well, I used to be 6'5", I'm settling. But it... Uh, <laughs> So a lot of our kids are just sort of average. So my, my 20-year-old son's only six feet tall. So I, I think if we fought, I think I could take him. I don't know. But now my 15-year-old, my who you're going to meet in a few hours, is 6'3", 195 pounds, and growing rapidly in all directions. And he, all right, here's the thing. So here's the way I do this in my mind. The last time J.D. and I fought, like really wrestled, father-son wrestle, was like a couple years ago, and I won. So, if I don't wrestle again, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Then I won. And hey, don't you remember the last time we fought? I won. And I just sort of leave it at that. But I don't think, honestly, I think I've crossed the line. I think he would pummel me. But part of it's that he would fight so dirty. Do you know what I mean? Like there's clean fighters and dirty fighters. He would fight dirty. Okay, where am I going? What am I talking about? 
So physically, physically we understand that our influence over our kids and grandkids decreases with time. Physical influence, right, decreases with time. What I want to suggest to you, though, is that the, the heart of your son, the heart of your daughter, the spirit of your son, the spirit of your daughter, the best picture for that is the little child in the hands of mom, in the hands of dad, in the hands of grandma, in the hands of grandpa. And it's a lifelong mission. It's a lifelong shaping of the heart. And some of you are here, you're like, well, Rob, listen, I don't buy your illustration. I got a 25-year-old, and I can assure you that his heart, her heart, is not soft and influenceable in my hands anymore. Look, I, I understand things happen in relationships. Walls go up. We have hurt and anger and bitterness and all of those things. But as you go through the Bible and you look at the scriptures on parenting, and the, the scriptures on parenting are focused on passing faith to the next generation, these are lifelong passages, lifelong calling. L let me show you the next verse. Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you are to be upon your hearts. Now God speaks to parents. Now God speaks to grandparents, and he gives them a mission. Look at this. Impress them on your children. Or the ESV says, teach them diligently to your children. Now, the them here is the commandments, God's word, the things of God. So what's the spirit here of the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Teach them to your kids. You want to love me? Help your kids love me. You want my word in your heart? Help your kids and grandkids have my word in their hearts. You want to be a great commission, make disciples Christian? Sorry about all the churchy words there. You want to be a great commission, make disciples Christian? Where does your great commission start? It starts with the little ones that have been entrusted to your care. Let me go back to that question I asked before. What's the purpose of family? I kind of liked your answers better than mine, but here we go. I want to suggest to you, God created the family, God created your family to be a discipleship center. Again, a churchy word. It's a spiritual transformation center. It's an evangelism center, a place. Every time a new baby comes into your family, you have a new lost soul that needs the gospel, that needs salvation through Jesus Christ. It's, how many of you are, um, you have a church that has small groups, discipleship small groups in your church? Raise your hand for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, small groups are a big deal these last 20 years. Has your pastor ever given you a big impassioned plea to join a small group? Yeah, okay, like every week. Yeah, okay. So let me, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna give you a 30 second sermon. I'll say, save your pastor the hour sermon, do it in 30 seconds. All right, folks, we need to do life together. You, we look at the church in the New Testament and they had real, starts with an R, relationships. And they live together in authentic, starts with a C. Therefore, we need you to be a part of one of our not bad, right? That's the deal. Listen, God believes in discipleship small groups too. He just has another name for them. What does he call them? He calls them families. Where, where you're going to do life together, where you're going to live together in real relationships. And are you, are you looking for authentic community? Like authentic? Go home. Go in your little apartment here. Close the door. Raise your hand if it will be authentic when you close the door. <laughs> oh, it'll be authentic, all right. God built it that way. God built it. Look how perfectly God built this. God built the family. See, the, the heat and the intensity of your family relationships bring out the junk that needs to be sanctified, right? That's where you are really you. That's where your kids are really 
your kids. The real you comes out at home. Imagine if the real you came out at church. Imagine if it came out here at camp or work. They'd kick you out of everywhere. But God created the family that the, the things in our hearts that need to be sanctified would come out with the people he created to love us unconditionally and stick with us no matter what. Isn't that a great plan? It's a perfect plan, except we don't understand that that's the plan. Sermon for another day. One of the reasons, and, and I love small groups. Pastor, if you're out there, I love small groups. I think they're great. One of the reasons why there's such an urgency for small groups in the church is God's small groups not functioning. God's home. God's family is not functioning like a discipleship center. And then this, the biblical purpose of parenting and grandparenting is to impress the hearts of our children, our grandchildren, with a love for God. That's why they're here. That's why they've been entrusted to our care. Now, how many of you are here, and it's the desire of your heart to love God? You bumble and stumble every day, but you really want to love him. All right? How many of you are here, and it's the desire of your heart that your kids and grandkids would love God? Okay. So we're like, all right, Rob. Man, I'm in. I'm all in. I, I, I really want to love him, and, and I really want my kids and grandkids to love him. Natural question for God would be what? How? Yeah. Lord, I really want to love you. I really want them to love you. And God, I know there's no magic formulas, right? I know there's no do one, two, three, and all your kids will follow Jesus. Lord, we get that. But wouldn't it, it would be great if God were to kind of, I don't know, take it down and not, because so far we've got like the vision here, and the 40,000 foot love God with all your heart and impress them on your children. But if God were to give you something like concrete or, or specific you could do toward the mission, would that help you? Would you do it? All right, well, God is really glad that you want that because that's the next verse. Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Mission number one is impress them on your children, teach them diligently to your children. All right, Lord, what, what do I do? How does a broken, messed up, sinful person like me possibly pass a love for you to my kids? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. These commandments I give to you are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Where do we start? Here we go. Talk about them. That's the word of God, the things of God, the Bible. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So what is the very first practical thing moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas are supposed to do? First word, talk. Yeah, open your mouth. Talk about the things of God, about your faith, about the Bible, and where are you supposed to do it? Just read the first line and you'll get it right. When you sit at home, look at this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, God, I want to love you. Open my book at home with your family. Open my book at home with your family. It is the first practical, specific instruction that God gives his people after the most important commandment in the Bible. You want to love me? Here's the place to start. Get my book open in your house. Now, down through the centuries, that's been called family worship. Family worship. Today, we might call it family devotions. It used to be called family altar. Here at camp, they call it the big brown sack of family worship. What do they call it? <laughs> what? 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 Brown Bag Bible Study Worship Festival, Bonanza. I'll, I'll get it tonight. All right. But as we just saw, about 15% of us grew up in homes that did that. Okay? 
And 10 years ago, on a nationwide survey, only one in 20 Christian families had a regular time of family worship. I believe that number is on the rise because there is a global reformation of family discipleship going on right now that the Holy Spirit is doing. And I, that, we're going to talk more, more about that. But here, what God gives us here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, is he gives us four power-packed moments of the day, four very specific times that God says are great times to connect spiritually with your kids. Now, can you talk, can you have a spiritual connection with your kids anywhere, anytime? Of course you can. That's not what this verse says. This verse gives you four specific times of the day. One is family worship. The few moments where we sit down and we have family prayer and family scripture. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to do an application sermon tonight on that particular passage. Tonight's uh, title, How to Pray and Read the Bible as a Family Without Killing Each Other. That's tonight. But then we've got this next one, when you walk along the road. All right, in ancient times, if you were going from travel soccer in Jericho to travel baseball in Jerusalem, how did you get there? You walked. So they, they talked about transition times being a time for spiritual connection. So today for us, it might be drive time. So what, what can we do with drive time? We can put Christian music in the car, right? We can pray before we leave. Sometimes before we, before we leave our house, we'll get in the driveway and get in the car. Hey, hey let's say a short prayer. God, um, would you just use our family as a light for Christ to everybody that we meet while we're out today? Just a simple prayer. Or you pass an accident on the road. Hey, can someone pray for God's protection and God's healing? Back when um, God was, was first opening the scriptures to us on this. Um, Amy was driving me to work one morning, and the kids were six, four, two, and nothing. I don't know. And uh, we're about an hour, we're about a minute away from, from work, church. And I said, oh, okay, car time. I should make a little, I should do a little something. So I said, hey, one of dad's favorite Bible verses, Philippians chapter two, verse five, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, kids, what kind of attitude did Jesus have? A good one. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's a good answer. Okay, so what we're going to do today, let's pay attention to the attitudes in our hearts. When we get back together at the end of the day, we'll talk about our attitudes and did we have the attitude of Jesus. Okay, bye, Daddy. So they're out. I'm out. Amy picks me up at the end of the day. We are driving half an hour to a friend's house. Amy and I are in the front of the car having an open, honest, marital interaction. Um, yeah, it's not going well. It's not an argument. It's a what? No, it's, yeah, it's interact. No, this one's a fight. We're having a fight in the front of the car. No fisticuffs, but it's a fight. From the back of the car comes, remember our verse. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I was so mad. <laughs> Quiet, kid! <laughs> so, uh, you got to stop fighting, right? The child chastises you with the Bible. But, but it was, okay. It's like a bell in the boxing match. You understand? You're fighting. The bell rings. What do you got to do? You got to go to your corners. But the fight's not over. You understand? Right? You just, you just got to take a little break. Because in every fight, there has to be a winner and there has to be a... You, that's right, there better be a loser. Right? And it's not going to be me. So, one of us, you know, said, now we at least try to whisper fight. You ever try that? So... We're going to whisper fight, and then we start yelling at each other again. And now the children are in tears, right, at, at mom and dad's uh, bad behavior, even after the Bible was brought to bear on the situation. 
the hypocrisy. So this is not a shining moment. Um, I share it with you uh, for, for, for this reason. Let's say the Holy Spirit works in, in your heart this week and uh, convicts you and challenges you and calls you up and you say, I want our family to follow Jesus. If that's what God does in your heart this week, you risk personal growth. You understand that? I know you're here for the dear children. They need Jesus so badly, right? But, but some of this discipleship center actually might, might rub off on us. All right, a couple more. Uh, when you lie down and when you get up, last few minutes of the day, first few minutes of the day, powerful moments of spiritual connection. How many of you have ever experienced putting your child or grandchild to bed at night that sometimes you can have a conversation with that child at 9, 10, 11 o'clock that you couldn't at 2 in the afternoon? Or the teenager who wouldn't touch you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon gives you a hug before bed. Raise your hand if you ever experienced that. It, very interesting, sociologically, sociologically, they've studied that phenomenon of the extra warmth between a parent and child at bedtime. They've found it in every culture that they've ever studied it in. Why is that? What's your theory? Well, they're just stalling. They don't want to go to bed. All right, maybe that's the theory. My theory is Deuteronomy 6-7 that God built the last few moments of the day, the walls of the heart lower for a special heart connection between the grandparent or the parent and the child, which is why many Christian parents would pray with their child before bed or read a scripture before bed. I, I, I bless my kids before bed. Now, this started with my mom. Uh, when I left for school every day, mom would meet me at the side door of the house. She'd put her arm around me and she would bless me with a blessing from Numbers chapter six, priestly blessing. Robbie, call me Robbie, Robbie, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace all the days of your life, my son. Numbers chapter 6, out the door every day. Blessing, blessing, blessing. So I give that blessing to my kids. R.W., may the Lord, bedtime. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace all the days of your life, my son, my daughter, my son, my daughter, my son, my son, my daughter. It takes a, <laughs> takes a long, long time to get to the list. Now, if I, if I forget to do it, what do I hear from the bedrooms? Daddy, blessings, where's my blessing? <laughs> All right, and if, and if I'm gone, or okay, I, I'm, on every, I'm on the road every other weekend during the school year. We do marriage and parenting conferences at, at your churches. So I'm gone three, four nights a month. So I got to text it, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord may copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. <laughs> okay, to all these different people. Um, or, or over the phone or whatever. Um, Lissy, my, my soon-to-be 18-year-old, she was 11 or 12. She's sitting in her bed. And I come in, I sit down next to her, and I, I, she, her head's up here on the pillow. I lean over her like this, and we're just sort of talking. And I, I start to bless her. Lissy, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And she starts writhing in discomfort. I'm like, what in the world? So I, I bless her, and I thought maybe I was like squishing her or something. You know, like, I don't whatever, pinching her or something as I was leaning on her. And um, I'm like, Lissy, what's wrong? I thought you like it when I blessed you. And she says, well, I like to hear it, not smell it. So, that is a freebie. The whole, the, the teeth brushing, the gum, the mints, you're going to beef all that stuff up because of all the talking that you're going to be doing, right? We don't want to be killing our, our, our children. I'm in the kitchen. This is a few months ago. I'm in the kitchen, and I, it's morning time, and I am 15 feet away from Amy. She's over at the sink, and I'm sitting down, and we're talking. She says, you need to brush your teeth. I'm 15 feet away. Is this really possible? So all I'd say, like if we're talking and you just hand me a mint, I won't be offended, all right? I'm doing my best up here. I, I brush them once a week whether they need it or not. Um, all right, where are we at? Let me, one of the things I'm going to try to do 
I'll do a better job in the future sessions. I'm going to try to end uh, earlier than they tell me to end so we can do you know, Q&A and interaction and things like that. I think I have a whole hour set aside just for questions and interactions toward the end of the week, and, and I look forward to that. And Obviously, as we're just around camp, Amy and I would love for you to come and, and talk to us. But let me wrap up with a couple of principles here. First one is this. Be prepared for opposition from the enemy. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to accelerate your family spiritually this week. And if you accelerate, you're going to get more what? You're going to get more resistance. It's just part of the deal. If you're sitting there in neutral, you're not feeling much resistance. If you're in first gear, you're still not feeling much resistance. But if you accelerate, you will. So I'm just telling you this to be prepared. All right. As you press closer with your kids spiritually, as you try to do these brown sack of family worship devos, as we are all together, you, you know what? May, I know you wanted to have a great week here at Gull Lake. It might be a hard week here at Gull Lake. Closer to him. And if it is a bad week, what I want you to take away from that is, ah, that's resistance. That's resistance because God's accelerating us. Let's not lose heart. Let's press through. Another one. God never calls us to do things he doesn't empower us to accomplish. Do you believe that? God never calls us to do things he doesn't empower us to accomplish. Some of you are here and you're like, man, you, you, you want me to be like a spiritual leader for my kids. I, you know, I'm a new Christian. I, I didn't have uh, parents that, that discipled me. I, I don't really know the Bible. I don't know Genesis from maps. Did you get that? Did you get the Genesis in the front and the... People are terrible. Okay, um... Listen, I just believe this is to be true. This is not, the challenge here is not you need to start teaching seminary in your house. The challenge here is let's bumble and stumble forward in the grace of God and invite our kids to bumble and stumble with us. And let's look our kids in the eye and tell them, I want you to love Jesus more than me. I want you to love his word more than I love his word. I want you to be a better husband, better father, better mother, better wife, better grandpa, better grandma than me. I want multi-generational advance in our family. I want my ceiling to be your floor. Do you get that? Because, son, I'm only giving you so much. I wish I was giving you more by way of faith and virtue and example. There's a lot of brokenness in your dad's life. You get the front row seat because you live with me to all that brokenness. If there's any virtue in my life, by the grace of God, I want all of that for you. If there's any sin and misery in my life, I want you to leave that behind in my generation, and I want you to go forward. Last thing before I pray. Things we're going to be talking about this week starts in our hearts. I'm not going to be doing uh, five tips for teens and ten tips for toddlers. You already have all that stuff. You know, you, you have these books at home on marriage and parenting in your little book section. You haven't read any of them, but they're right there. And, and in all those books is what? Five tips for teens and 10 tips for toddlers. And they're really great books, I'm sure. And if you were to open them up and do some of the tips and tricks, it would really, really help. But coming out of my own testimony and then our family ministry uh, around the country, um, the problem isn't we, that we need more tips and tricks. The problem is our hearts. We need God to turn our heart to him. And we need God to turn our heart to the number one mission that he's given us, which is to help our children and grandchildren safely home to their Father in heaven. 
That's my problem day after day. My heart gets pulled away from mission one onto mission two, mission three, mission four. I constantly am getting upside down. I constantly fall off the path. I have to ask God to put me back on the path. I fall off the other way. And I'm, does that sound familiar to you? I think that's like the Christian life till Jesus comes back, right? But the danger for us is we get off the path and the farther we go, the longer path we've got to get back. So we're gonna be spending just a lot of time talking about our hearts and asking God to turn our hearts to the ministry of our, our families. So let's bow our heads, let me pray for us. We're gonna enjoy break time. God, thanks that we could be together this morning and that you made it possible for all of us to be here. And as, I think as I prayed yesterday, every single one of our families uh, is suffering and hurting and falling very, very short. We're really very needy for your Holy Spirit to do something very special in our relationships, in our relationships with our children, with our grandchildren, with our own siblings, with our spouses. We're just humbling ourselves before you, God, like our verse uh, reminds us to do. Humbling ourselves before you and trusting in your uh, mighty power and trusting also that you, you care for us. You really do. You personally care for each one of us. And we're asking that you would um, do some miraculous things in our family relationships this week. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.